2: Strange Familiars. Are you ready? Do you have your doodly doodly doodlies ready? (laughs) I do. Because tonight, part two of our clip show, we're going to be hearing some more sounds that we recorded on various on-site episodes.
3: And by we, you mean you and other people, not me.
2: Yes, the the general (laughs) Strange Familiars we.
3: The royal we.
2: We're also going to be talking to Jonathan, who has a really interesting story about he went to this place where Sky had some Bigfoot activity, Mm -hmm. and he heard some wood knocks. But more interesting than that, he heard these vocals, but they kind of sounded like a buzzing kind of sound, which we talk about in Where the Footprints End. He was very interested. He read the book, and then he contacted us because he's like, oh, I've heard that. Very, very interesting story. We're also going to be talking with Kelly, who has the story of a blue light she saw in the Pine Barrens in New Jersey. Before we get into all that, though, yeah. I have some announcements to make. Chad and I mm-hmm. will be mm-hmm. in person yeah. in Morgantown, West Virginia at Cryptid Bash this coming Saturday, August 7th. It's 11 a.m to 6pm at Morgantown Art Party. That's 218 Walnut Street in Morgantown. It's a big event. Other podcasts are there. Other artists are there. Chad and I will be there. I think Chad's bringing the knife that he got taken and then apported back to him possibly at Harry Springs. I think he's bringing the skull he found at Pandemonium. I may or may not bring some other skulls we found at different places, but I will have all my books there. I will have art and art prints there. Mm. And if I have time, I will be taking commissions to do cryptid sketches, little cryptid drawings for people. While you you wait. Yes. uh, Limited number. I can't do them constantly, but I'll take a limited number. So if you want an original commissioned cryptid drawing, I may have time to do them while we're there. We'll see.
3: And I can't cross state lines, so I can't go along. No, I'm just kidding.
2: (laughs) I totally could. I just choose not to. (laughs) Because of my health concerns, I'm a little bit worried about big crowds of people. This will be my first event I've done post-COVID. I'm going to be wearing a mask. I'm probably going to be six-foot distancing, at least inside. Probably won't be shaking hands.
3: Yeah, probably a good idea.
2: If you want a picture with us... Maybe outside, but inside we'll be kind of keeping our distance. I think and, and playing it safe. Yeah. I know at this point it seems like nobody knows what to do, and I think that's really the truth. I yeah. don't think anybody really knows what to do. So,
3: but you of all people need to be a little bit on the safer side. So. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to try to play. So everybody, it safe. be nice to Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm actually winning at the social distancing because I'll be you know
2: a lot more distant several hundred miles away. Yes. So that's Cryptid Bash this coming Saturday. August 7th at Morgantown Art Party. Hope to see you there. Get signed books, get art prints, get original art from me, and you can meet Chad and I as well from six feet away.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Chad might even move up to five and a half feet. Hey, that's Chad's Chad. That's That's a Chad issue.
2: Speaking of art prints, added two new 9x12 prints on Etsy. These are both selections from the monsters under the hospital bed. It's the Bigfoot Big Heart one that everyone seems to love, so that was kind of a no-brainer. That's one of the prints, and then the Black Dog illustration, which is probably my favorite from that series, I made into a print as well. These are both in our Etsy shop. Of course, if you come to Cryptid Bash, I'll have them there, but if you're not coming to Cryptid Bash, you can find these prints in our Etsy shop. They are on 140-pound watercolor paper, not to pat myself on the back, but they look great.
3: They do. They look nice on that. They we look- have
2: a printer that's amazing. That's our yeah. print. The Let's give
3: who- a shout-out to Wise Printing.
2: Wise Printing, York, <laughs> Pennsylvania. Fantastic, fantastic printers. They do all of my art prints, and I could not be happier with them. While you're on Etsy checking out those two prints, you can check out all of our other stuff at Etsy. All of my books are there. have some original artwork up there. Strange Familiars t-shirts. You added some photos, right?
3: Yeah, I'm in the process of adding quite a bit more, so...
2: Yeah, so we have a lot of old photos up there, besides the photo of the week, which we still have up there, and we'll have a new Curiosity of the Week coming later on in the episode. Our Etsy shop name is Lost Grave, but if you type in Strange Familiars, our stuff should come up. And another announcement. From August 4th through the 8th, everything in our tea Public store is on sale. Store-wide sale. So
3: that's Wednesday through Sunday.
2: Yes. T-shirts... Totes, mugs, banners, everything they make at Tea Public, everything will be on sale.
3: It's Leo season.
2: <laughs> is that why? They're yeah, celebrating. It's, they're, it's, it's Leo season. This is they're celebrating your birthday yeah. with the sale at Tea Public.
3: Mm-hmm. That was nice of them. Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the link to our Tea Public shop is in the show notes. Click that. Go ahead and check it out. Everything's on sale starting Wednesday, August fourth. You've delayed things long enough, Allison.
3: I know. All these announcements. What's the lunch today? (laughs) What's lunch B? Do they still have lunch A and B? I don't think so. I think it's just what microwavable bag of crap do you want?
2: Yeah. Let's get to more of our Ghosts of Audio past. We're continuing our exploration of sounds we recorded during various on-site episodes. Like I mentioned previously, some of these may be explainable, perfectly natural sounds. Others may be genuinely anomalous. I believe some are. I believe all of them were captured during anomalous events. That is, you know, weird stuff was happening. And whether the sounds are naturally explainable or not, that's another thing. As in our last episode, I'll play most of these clips three to four times so you can hear what we're trying to point out. So to start... Mm -hmm. Let's go to one of my favorite places in York County, Toad Road. Don't look behind you. This audio comes from episodes 159 and 160, which we called Synchronicity Storm on Toad Road. If you're not familiar with Toad Road, there's a ton of legends about the place.
3: There's a lot of false information about that place. (laughs) There's a lot of false information about the place.
2: I wrote two books addressing this. Beyond the Seventh Gate was my first book, and then Don't Look Behind You was a follow-up. Do we need to go over the legends? I guess we can quickly go over the legends of Toad Road. So the one that people talk about as if it's true mm-hmm. and as if it's been around forever is this legend of a burning insane asylum. People still tell me this legend.
3: They've, seen, they've been to the insane asylum. They've well, been
2: to, no one has told me to my face that uh-huh. they've been to the insane asylum. <laughs> I've heard people on podcasts claim they've, they've gone through the Fifth Gate and they've seen the ruins of the insane asylum.
3: Mm-hmm. Much like most of life, um, reality versus your imagination is far weirder, but more mundane.
2: I don't know where these people are. that <laughs> They're seeing ruins. I, mm-hmm. um, I've hiked the entirety of Toad Road. I'm guessing more times than anyone else alive has, probably, at this point, honestly. I, or at least recently. It's been closed a long time, and there's yeah. only certain... There's a certain way to get into it that Gideon actually found it, and... He knows it, and I know it, and now I believe Chad knows it. And I think I showed Soraya when he was here, but I don't think he could find it again Mm -hmm. if he had to. So unless you know that way, I don't think you're walking the entire road. There are ruins along the road. There's ruins of an old flint mill along the road.
3: There are several houses that we've seen on older maps that aren't there now, but nothing in the way. Yeah, there was like a hunting
2: cabin that was there, Mm -hmm. and then Dr. Belknap's house on the other end was there and was a ruin for a while but there's it's not there anymore. So this story of the insane asylum that burnt down complete urban legend with a very small hint of truth that made it stick. Can go all the way back to episodes one two and three of strange familiars to get into this with more detail but
3: there was a, a quote unquote as, asylum of sorts uh, more of like a, a self-care uh, mental and physical health.
2: Yes. Uh, By the time it, the, it burnt down, it was basically an old age home at that point.
3: Yeah, it's what became um, the area in your county where the county home is. Right. Which was previously the almshouse.
2: Right. For that part of the county.
3: For that part of the county, yeah.
2: yeah. It was Dr. Crandall's. Dr. Crandall's. Health school. Health school. And then it was Dr. Crandall's like, fresh air sanatorium or something mm-hmm. like that. So it was a sanatorium. So people think, oh, it was a sanatorium. It had to be a mental hospital. No, sanatorium was used for any place of medical rest back mm-hmm. in the day. And this burnt down in the fifties, I think. Yeah, because there are people that
3: um, still talk about it, and that is actually located kind of across the street from where you sell your books at American Daydream.
2: <laughs> yeah. So that did burn down. It's kind of, kind of near Toad Road. Yeah. But yeah. no one got hurt. There were, It was not an insane asylum. It was not a mad doctor.
3: Keeping private
2: people in his... In his basement, doing experiments on them. Yeah, and then
3: there wasn't a time when um, escaped, quote-unquote, mental patients were running through the woods. Yeah, none none
2: of this happened. And it's it's really sad because Dr. Belknap did live at the end of Mm -hmm. Toad Road. And he gets bound up into these stories, either as the, quote-unquote, mad doctor, because Mm -hmm. he happened to be a doctor and he happened Mm -hmm. to live at the end there, or... Somebody in the local paper one time printed this story that it was called Toad Road because he had toad statuary everywhere. He collected toads, and he Mm -hmm. was a big fan of toads. I found photos of his house. No toads. No toads, no toad statuary, Mm -hmm. nothing around there. His house was, right at the end, it was the American Legion Lodge that was actually owned by the Shoe Wizard.
3: Oh, yeah, we have to do a story about... The Shoe House? I finally, after... Decades and decades of living here. Got to go to the, the Shoe Wizard House, which is a gigantic...
2: Shoe house? Shoe house.
3: <laughs> it's one of the like kind of uh, roadside America attractions that you'd see on the old Lincoln Highway that goes through
2: York. So Haynes, the guy who built the shoe house, mm-hmm. he owned this lodge at the end there. And they, he gave it to the American Legion. So they called it Haynes Lodge or Haynes mm-hmm. American Legion Lodge. There's also a wizard ranch in Helm. And I always wonder, why is that Wizard Ranch? Well, oh, it's he was the, the shoe, shoe wizard. He was the shoe wizard. and so he. They
3: even have stained glass in that, in the, in the shoe house of him holding a shoe. Yeah. It's the coolest place.
2: <laughs> so in any case, that became Dr. Belknap's house. It was in disrepair. He fixed it up, made a beautiful stone house out of it. I don't know whatever happened to, this, to his house. I don't think it burnt down. I don't think it would burn. I think they must have torn it down for one mm-hmm. reason or another. That was at the end. It's really sad because Dr. Belknap gets bound up into Mm -hmm. these stories as this mad doctor. And I often say he might have been angry Mm -hmm. because even back then people came to this area to do legend tripping and stuff. Mm -hmm. And he probably had a bunch of kids on his property. He probably didn't want them there. So he might have been an angry doctor, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but he wasn't mad. He wasn't insane. He wasn't practicing on people.
3: This is the thing I think is funny about this whole story. It's like this is back in the day when if you look at old newspapers, like if your chicken had a bad day, it might make the news. Right? Don't you think a burning mental institution with runaway patients on the loose might have made the papers?
2: And they did from as far away as Canada. They are in the papers, in the York papers. You know, so it's big news. So if one was in York and burnt down, it would be front page news in York. And it did not happen. There was not an insane asylum out there. To set the record straight one more time, mm-hmm. there's never been... A dedicated
3: ins- mental health facility in our county. Exactly.
2: <laughs> exactly. There's never been an insane asylum in York County to burn down. There just wasn't. There wasn't I mean, the, one out there.
3: The sad reality of that is that we've, there's never been... and We've never made it a priority enough have an, uh, a, dedicated, insti- a dedicated uh, mental sure. health institution.
2: All of that said, there is strange stuff that happens around Toad Road uh, well before these legends ever came about and still to this day. So once a year, I try to hike the entire road end to end. It's kind of like my yearly ritual. Sometimes I do it more than once, but I try to do it for sure once a year. In 2020, right before the pandemic hit, Chad came with me on my annual Toad Road hike. So this day was filled with all kinds of synchronicities and weirdness. The most striking was we had been kind of alerted to these Mylar balloon things. We started finding them in Pandemonium. We published the Pandemonium episode where we found the Mylar balloon and I started talking about it. I had seen it on some YouTube video of a, a Bigfoot guy was talking about finding Mylar balloons in his Bigfoot area. Mm-hmm. So when we came across this Mylar balloon in Pandemonium, I was just kind of like, let's just make note of it. Let's take a photograph of yeah. it. It's an interesting thing. Published that before Hellier 2 came out. Mm-hmm. Now, I did the soundtrack for the final episode of Hellier 2, but that's all the involvement I had. I didn't mm-hmm. know the plot line. I didn't know what they were doing. Greg contacted me and said, hey, can we use... Your album is the soundtrack to the last episode. Absolutely. I, I love you're Very nice people. Go ahead and use it. But I had no idea what they were up to mm-hmm. in that season. They started finding Mylar balloons on their investigations, too. And it became this very big thing where they started finding Mylar balloons. Mm-hmm. So now Mylar balloons kind of became a thing. And we started kind of noting them more often. When Chad and I were on Toad Road that day, found a Mylar balloon. Mm-hmm. And we had to go off the main trail it was wet i think there was a big muddy area that we just couldn't hike through so we had to go off the main trail pop up kind of on this berm as soon as we get up there take about maybe 10 steps or less mm-hmm. i was like look at that a mylar balloon 3 steps later i see a skull and i'm looking at it before i even pick it up and like that's a weird skull pick it up it's a pig skull not only that it's a pig skull with a small caliber bullet hole in it now this means nothing to anyone except me, because in my research for Beyond the Seventh Gate, and I didn't even put this article, I don't think I put this article in the book. I just came across this article and kind of made note of it. There's a story about someone near Cador's Furnace slash Toad Road. It's, you know, same general area. A young man who was butchering pigs had a twenty-two caliber pistol, fell out of his pocket, went off and shot him in the heart or above the heart i'm not saying this is the pig skull from that
4: Mm -hmm.
2: that event but i'm saying when i find this pig skull with a small caliber bullet hole in it i remember this story and i think it's from like 1909 Mm -hmm. this this happened i remember this story and i'm thinking what the heck there are not pig farms around this area no this is in the middle of toad road it's right where the trout run creek it's right by the trout run creek Right where th- that comes out and meets the caturus. This is all, like, wooded area. There this
3: weren't is, these there pigs There was around. not
2: pig farms there. There are not wild pigs there. There just aren't. We've had a wild pig, I think, in York County, but it was, a, like, an escape thing. Somebody brought it in mm-hmm. to hunt. We don't generally have wild pigs here. Really, really weird to find a pig skull at all out there that it would have a small caliber bullet hole in it. It just knocked me on, on my butt, honestly. It... it blew me away as I'm, lo- I'm looking, I'm like, this is a pig skull with a 22 caliber bullet hole in it. I know this story of this, this kid who was slaughtering pigs out there. Stunning, really, really stunning. We continue our walk. We go up to the end, turn around and come back. When we come back, maybe 10 yards beyond where we found the, the one pig skull, Chad steps off the trail for what reason I don't remember and says, look at this and picks up another pig skull. I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's very, very strange, very wonderful and exciting day for me to find that. So the the creepiest sound we captured all day there was this EVP. What it's saying, I'm not sure. People have guessed like not that way or back that way or something like that.
3: Wouldn't it have been cool if it just said don't look behind you? I mean, that would have been like a good
2: full circle moment. It would have been perfect.
3: (laughs) They never tell you exactly what you want to hear.
2: So let's go ahead and play this EVP. All right, the next thing we captured was a knock and reply. We were hearing stuff kind of on the hill above us that day, and I think Chad kept saying he heard he was hearing knocks. and I mean, I heard him too, but I think he heard more than I did. So we did capture what sounds like a knock and a reply. Um. Okay. Remember last episode when you talked about EVPs and stomach growls? Yeah. There were sounds in this episode. The original episode, mm-hmm. I played it. You can go back and listen. And I was like, this is a weird groan that we captured. This is a weird growl. Mm. And somebody said, it sounds like maybe it could be your stomach. But <laughs> no, I've captured stomach yeah, growls on other investigations yeah, yeah. when I've had the recorder in my pocket here. Yeah, yeah. This day, I, the recorder was on my walking stick. So mm-hmm. it's way up here. So I thought, I don't really think those were stomach growls. Mm -hmm. I went back and listened to them compared to other recordings that I had that were definitely stomach growls. They were stomach growls. Mm -hmm. So I forget who wrote in to tell me that you were correct. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, give it a while and... Sometimes these things seem a little more mundane, and, and I think uh, mm. these definitely were just stomach growls. So I, I won't be playing any of those that, that, that I capture. But if you want to hear my stomach growls, you can go back and listen to the Synchronicity on Toad Road episodes.
3: You tend not to eat before trips.
2: <laughs> All right, so now we're going to episodes 169 and 170. I called this the Forgotten River Bigfoot Investigation. This is from October 2019. It's just before I went to the First Strange Realities Conference. I was called by a Bigfoot witness. He had some experiences along the Susquehanna River in York County. Chad and I went out there one evening in October. We started hiking into this area. We hiked 2 to 3 miles into the woods just to see what we could see. The guy told me around where he was having experiences. He was camping out there fishing and he I forget if he had something thrown at him or he got yelled at. I forget the experience. He didn't see a creature, but he felt it was Bigfoot-like. So we found the area where he was camping, probably. We looked around. And then we just hiked past that one into the, the woods, and we got really deep in there into this, like, creek valley. It was absolutely beautiful, stunningly beautiful creek valley. As we're entering this creek valley, we heard the sound of a car door slamming. I had the recorder on. I had heard this sound before. Not just a car door slamming, I mean Mm -hmm. like an an anomalous car door slamming. I was on Toad Road the year before with someone else doing my annual hike. And we were walking not far from where Chad and I found that pig skull. Mm -hmm. And I heard a car door slam that sounded like it was right in my right ear to the point where I looked around. And I started wondering, like, who's got a four-wheel drive and and drove down in here? You know, where did this sound come from? Could not figure it out didn't have a recorder with me that day, or at least I didn't have it running, so I didn't capture it that day. On this day of the Forgotten River Bigfoot investigation, there were no cars anywhere near us. No boats on the river beside us. There's no roads anywhere near us, and no parking area. In fact, a, a guy came down. He was a hunter. He was not presently hunting. I think mm-hmm. he was kind of scouting out the area. And he came down past us, and we asked him, we said, where's the closest parking area or road? And he's like, Oh, like way, way up there. I forget how far mm-hmm. away it was. Like too far away to hear a car door slam, especially through the trees. So, John Keel noted the two most frequently reported sounds during paranormal incidents are babies crying mm-hmm. and car door slamming. I think Ron Moorhead said they heard a car door slamming sound when they were at the Sierra camp. They were like ten miles from anywhere up there in the Sierra. Nevada. What did
3: people hear before cars?
2: I maybe they would just Did describe it. Did they hear
3: it. horses? Yeah, they a saddle.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they hear a saddle being put on. I don't know, maybe, maybe it was the same thing, but they would just describe it as a bang or a hollow yeah. thud or something. You know, Someone
3: I, loading things on the back of a wagon.
2: Yeah, who knows? I heard a baby crying one time when we went to a certain place in Gettysburg, which we will be talking about with much more detail. Very soon. Very soon. This was on a cold November night. Got out of the car. Didn't have the recorder running because literally, as soon as we got out of the car, we heard a baby crying. Didn't see anyone around.
3: Who would bring their baby out in the cold? Well,
2: that's my question. Because it was for, I don't know, a little while too. We heard this.
3: Are you sure it wasn't like some sort of animal, like a fox or something? It or? sounded
2: like a baby crying, oh, and it could disturbing. have been somebody. Could have been somebody <laughs> around. Maybe somebody yeah. had their baby out there. You know, I, but I don't know.
3: That seems I don't unlikely. Know.
2: The strange thing about the Forgotten River Bigfoot thing, and maybe it's because we recorded literally the night before I went to Strange Realities. I remember on the way out of the woods, it got dark on us. We hiked in, it was still light, Mm -hmm. it got dark on us quickly. And we're coming out of there. I tripped on a root and hurt my knee really bad. Like, really, really hurt myself right before I went down to Tennessee. Maybe I willfully forgot about it because of that reason. (laughs) It was months and months and months. This just sat in my file and I never listened to the audio. And then one day I was kind of looking through, and I was like, "Oh, wait a minute! I heard the car door sound." That yeah, see if
3: I got it. Kind of. Yeah, yeah.
2: I wonder if I caught it. I wonder if I caught it. So I don't know if anyone. I know other people have heard the anomalous car door sound. I don't know if it's ever been recorded.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: We got it, and as far as I know, this might be the only time anyone's actually recorded the anomalous car door sound in the woods, or you know, on a paranormal investigation. So we'll go ahead and play it again. Alright, so now we move to Episodes 174 and 175, Through the Haunted Forest Parts 1 and 2. This is our series to do with Macho Forest, sometimes covering our own experiences, sometimes when we meet witnesses there. We met Ken in the area. He took us to a couple places where he had Bigfoot encounters. The second location was our first time we went to Harry Springs, With Ken took us there. And that's an area which we return to with some frequency. While we were at Harry Spring, we captured several pieces of audio. We heard a kind of screech. This may have been a bird. I'm not sure. And then we heard a kind of babbling chatter. You can hear it In this clip, like, it's kind of beyond the insect noises.
3: You have to kind of tune tune out the insects.
2: Yeah, kind of listen through them.
3: What time of year was that?
2: Oh, now you're really trying me. Well, just Mm do
3: a vague season. Was it summertime?
2: No, I don't think so. I think it might have been Spring. Or, might have been fall, early fall. I forget. I Honestly, I forget. I, I'm sure on the episode we say I should have made note of that. We've been to Harry Springs so many times, all times of the year. Yeah, they just kind of blur to, together. Yeah, it starts to blur together for me. All right, so next episode's 189 and 190. That's through the Haunted Forest 3 and 4. So Chad and I returned to Harry Springs, and we made our way up to Big Pond Furnace. While we were at Harry Springs, we often heard what we termed gorilla grunts, and Ken heard these too. I remember, I really need to probably go through the audio, we recorded with Ken with a fine tooth comb, because we were really hearing them that night, and I've not been able to pull any of them out.
3: Is that also kind of that sound, you know, like if you get too close to a deer and they make that like sort of nasal, like it sounds like they're blowing out of their nose?
2: I mean, it could have been, like Ken's a hunter, and... You know, he didn't think that's what they were. uh, Plus, they
3: don't tend to get that close in the dark unless it's sort of accidental, right?
2: Yeah. These were down in towards the creek that's there. I went through the audio like again and again trying to find these sounds on all of our recordings. I only found this one like short clip of this kind of grunting sound. So I'll go ahead and play that. So... On the way up to Big Pond Furnace, this was one of those things, Chad's driving, I'm just kind of lazily looking out the window, you know, Mm -hmm. seeing what I can see. I saw what seemed to be something, like I thought it was a person, Mm -hmm. squatting down by a tree along the side of the road. To the point where I I said, Chad, you got to back up. We got to look back here. Back up. Of course, we back up. Nothing there. So did I see anything at all? I don't know. It was enough to make me take pause and and, and tell Chad to back up. We get to Big Pond Furnace, which is an old iron furnace, not far from Harry Springs. We got out and and Chad goes right to the furnace because he wants to check out the furnace. And I start walking down the road. I didn't get very far. I don't know, maybe maybe 20 yards before there's this huge crash. And it sounded like somebody took a tree, a living tree, that's like six or seven inches in diameter, and just snapped it in half. It was so loud. And it scared me so much. I mean... he just backed me right up. Terrifying. Like, because it's pitch dark.
3: Oh, you're in the dark.
2: Oh, yeah. It's just pitch dark. I'm I'm headed down this road. It's probably midnight or after at this point. And just this crack. And you just hear a crash after that. It's completely unimpressive on the recording.
3: You were recording.
2: I was recording.
3: And it sounds like, it's <laughs> it's just, like someone taking a toothpick. And if
2: that. I mean, you can barely hear it at all. It's so disappointing because this one I was so excited for because I thought, like, This is going to be so impressive because it was so scary. I think I even let out an expletive when it happened Mm because it scared the heck out of me. In this clip, when I play it, you'll hear me talk about car sounds. Now, I'm not saying that this was a car that made this sound, nor am I saying it's the anomalous car door slam Mm -hmm. sound again. What I'm talking about is we were down in Harry Springs before and we thought we heard a car. Mm -hmm. It was like some kind of loud sound or something. And, And I say to Chad, well, there's our car sound, meaning... Maybe that's what we heard in Harry Springs and we thought was a car. Maybe we were hearing whatever mm. that was. So that's what I'm talking about. I don't think a car made this sound. It was, a, it was definitely somebody, something snapping a tree or a tree snapping on its own.
1: Whoa. All right.
5: Uh, that, that was our car sound.
1: That
3: wasn't a car. I know, but I mean, that's, that's,
5: that's what we heard before.
2: That was something big. So now we're up to recent times. And just because I'm a completist, Mm -hmm. just going to go ahead and present these, even though it was a few episodes ago. So not long ago, we went to an area in Maryland that we call Gazoo's Woods. It's a nature preserve. There was a pretty intense Bigfoot encounter that's on the BFRO page there. That's why I originally went there. We had some little strangenesses there concerning stuffed animals and so forth. I encourage everyone to go ahead and listen to episodes 242 and 243. Gazoo's Woods Part 1 and 2 for the full story. So we get out of the car that night. This was our first nighttime visit. Things got weird immediately. And of course, Alice came in. While we were there, Chad also kept talking about hearing a, a kind of musical sound. He comes, I, like, I, I keep hearing something go doo 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 doot. and I would I didn't hear this. I didn't know what uh-huh. he was talking about until I did the editing, and exactly what he was saying. It's right there on the oh, recording. Oh,
3: okay, that's cool.
2: So we captured something else that starts out sounding like a bark, but not quite. I think it's important to point out that while we were there, we didn't hear any dogs. Mm-hmm. So if we're anywhere recording on site, what we try to do for two reasons. If we hear something and we know what it is, we try to say, oh, that was an owl. Mm-hmm. That's a dog barking. Oh, that's a coyote. As much to calm yourself down. <laughs> it's really to mark the place on the tape. Yeah. So, I know, so I, I, when I go back and listen to the tape, I can go, Oh, that's an owl, and then I can make the choice whether to present it to the audience or just, okay, mm-hmm. they've, we've got enough owl sounds. They don't need to hear that. Or if it's something we don't know what it was, we, we say, hey, what was that? Or I don't know what that was. Whatever it is, again, to mark the place on the tape so I know where to go back and listen for these mm-hmm. things. So we would have noted out loud if there were dogs barking. Mm-hmm. And we didn't hear any dogs barking this night. So this sounds starts out sounding like it's a bark, but not quite. <laughs> And then it kind of changes a little bit. The other thing Chad kept talking about hearing was he said he kept hearing some kind of bird. And again, I didn't hear what he was talking about that night. I was listening. He's like he's like, I don't know if it's a turkey. I don't know what it is. I keep hearing some kind of bird again on the audio. I hear some kind of bird sound. Now somebody did contact me and, and said there's there's a certain kind of bird that's it's rare, but it is in Maryland and it could have been that bird. I don't know. I don't I don't know my bird sounds well enough.
3: Well you better know the Oriole.
2: I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, here's another kind of woofing sound we heard. Again, there were no dogs that we heard See, that, that night.
3: This is exactly why I don't accompany you on any of these trips.
2: This was a scary night. I, you would have been in the car with the doors locked. This was, oh, I
3: probably would have just... Just text me when you're ready for me to come. Pick you <laughs> <up>. <laughs> I'll be waiting somewhere in a well-lit parking lot.
2: So here's this is other single bark again. Didn't notice any dogs while we were there. Whew. So we heard this weird cry. It was just a quick burst off in the woods. As I said on the other episode, remember this weird cry because it kind of comes into play again. So we were at the, what I call the top part, it's actually south, but it's uphill. So is is it the upper part or is it lower because it's south of, of the lower part? However you want to put it. We are at the graveyard, which is kind of on a hill. We came back around to the other side and came into the woods that way. So we're in this woods. We see this red eye shine. Now, there's not many things that even can have red eye shine. Uh, these were big, by the way, which eliminates things like rats and little critters. that sometimes, What's
3: the biggest you know, thing that can have red eye shine? A bear. Oh, that's not cool.
2: Depending on its diet, bears can have red, green... I think blue, yellow, they, yeah, yeah, it really depends on their diet. Their eye shine can change.
3: It depends on the diet. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's really interesting.
3: So is the red related to an iron thing or I don't, I need to know about this. Yeah.
2: You'll have to research it. I did that much research to talk about eye shine for the Bigfoot book. So I know that the best.
3: But not humans. They don't.
2: Humans don't have eye shine at all. Okay. Because we don't have a tapetum lucidum. We don't have that membrane in the back of our eyes that, that reflects light. Like deer. If you see a human's eyes in flash photography, that's actually the red blood vessels in your eyes. Oh, that you're seeing, illuminated. Yeah. That's not a tapenum lucidum. So only a few things that can have red eye shine at all, and only big thing that I know of, at least in this area, Mm -hmm. there might be big animals, maybe tigers or something, I don't know. But in in North America, in, in this specific part of North America, the only big thing that can have red eye shine is a bear.
3: Have you thought about devil dogs?
2: Could have been a devil dog, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we see this red eye shine, Yeah, and that's it was like, very disconcerting because I'm here, Chad moves down the trail towards it a little bit, kind of at an angle.
3: Purposefully? Towards it.
2: Yeah. He wants to try to figure out what it is. I had the eye shine in my headlamp, and then it's gone.
3: If something closes its eyes, wouldn't it do that
2: possibly. Chad says he can still see it though, so I'm wondering if it turned its head mm-hmm. to look at him, because I couldn't see it anymore, but that's very worrisome when you see big eyes shine in the woods, in the dark woods, mm-hmm. and now you don't see it. I wanted to keep an eye on this thing. Yeah. I wanted to know where it was, but Chad said he could still see it. In any case, Chad asked, so he had left something up at the cemetery. There seems to be a gifting area that someone established up there that had oyster shells and coins in it. We did not do that. We found that. So Chad leaves a stone up there as a gift. And this was a, a rock that Diane had felt was thrown at her mm-hmm. in that cemetery in Colombia mm-hmm. from the woods. So Chad leaves this, and he, he says, I left you something up there. I would like something in return,
3: please. Oh, no, no, no.
2: I, yeah, this is exactly what I'm thinking. Like, don't do don't, that's not, you. Don't do that.
3: This is the folkloric equivalent.
2: Yep. It, it's, it's like breaking the rules. <laughs> As soon as he says that, we hear this weird cry. Like, immediately afterwards, this weird cry comes from the woods. It was so creepy.
3: Did you capture that?
2: We did. So here's this. This is right after Chad asked for his gift in return. (laughs)
3: I'll give you a gift.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So that happens, and then... As I said on the episode, I kind of was like a little bit jealous that Chad had this interaction. Really? Yes. I want to be the special guy that gets yelled at from Bigfoot too. In any case, we're standing there and and I I guess Chad had asked, give us a sign if you don't want us here, if you want us to leave or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it went dead quiet, just dead quiet. And later on, on the way home, we were talking and he's like, you know what it felt like to me? It felt like it was trying to make up its mind. Like, that's why it went quiet. Mm-hmm. Like, it was trying to make up his mind whether... Whether they it, wanted to leave or it was so there. curious. Separate from him, I had the exact same feeling. That's totally the feeling I got, too, at that time. I'm like, it doesn't know. It doesn't You know, whatever that's worth. In any case, I said, we had the feeling that things had been thrown at us mm-hmm. all night. I said, in the direction of the eyeshine that was no longer there and the cry we heard, I said, throw something at us. Do not hit us. Throw it near us. A second later, maybe two seconds, I don't know, something hits right beside me. Just loud as can be, just whack. Can hits. you hear that on the audio? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got that recorded, too. We took that as time to go. That was enough.
3: Was this during, like, cicada mania?
2: No cicadas were crying that night. I went back a couple of days later. You can hear it in the Katoos Woods Part 2. And they were, it was, like, deafening loud.
3: Yeah. There. It's so. weird because it's almost as if the cicadas respected the Mason-Dixon line.
2: Yeah, we didn't get too many We up didn't here. really get yeah. I any, mean,
3: not the way people in Maryland did.
2: Something landed next to me. I didn't see what hit the ground. I honestly was way too concerned about keeping whatever that was in my headlamp to look for a stone or mm-hmm. an acorn or whatever could have hit the ground next to us. So I don't know what it was. But it very impressive. It's very, very impressive.
3: Do you ever record the sound of you and Chad peeing yourselves?
2: (laughs) I've not done that yet. You know, I've talked to so many witnesses. I've heard witnesses like on Sasquatch Chronicles again and again, so scared that they peed themselves.
3: I've only been that scared and that was from a a human being.
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: You don't even realize it's happening. You're just like, oh, I guess it does happen as a fight or flight mechanism.
2: So it's a bonus. Going to have a little bonus tonight. Okay. Very short preview of our episode 300.
3: I know you've been working on this since basically episode 200. <laughs> yeah, Chad
2: and I have been working on this for over a year now. So this will be the episode 300 project. It's going to be called The Witch Cloud. It has to do with an area that Chad and I have been repeatedly investigating. It's got on-site audio. It's got witness interviews on location. Nobody that met us out there. These were people that we met while we were there who agreed to be interviewed. It's got our own experiences. It's got a lot of weirdness in this, and it's also going to be a book. So there'll be a book. By the book, you get the audio of the episode for free as a download. The episode audio is basically the audio book plus all this on-site stuff with it. That'll come with the book. That'll be episode 300. The only way to get it is to get the book. For patrons, we always say you get every episode. You will get this episode, but it's going to be, I don't know, six months, eight months down the line. The idea was to raise money for the podcast. So, episode 300, get the book, get the download with it. It will be a really cool set. You guys will see. Fully illustrated book, tons of research, plus all this audio, on site audio. So, we were at this location. We were interviewing two witnesses, and one of them was talking about being paced by something in the brush. And then he said he saw this black, shadowy figure. He said it was six to seven feet tall. These are ghost hunters. These are not Bigfoot people. Mm-hmm. These people are repeatedly describing things, pacing them in the woods, things hitting the ground, things whacking trees, and these figures that are, the one guy said was wider than Chad and I together, seven feet tall. This guy saw a seven foot tall black thing cross the path while we're talking to him. After he says he heard something pace him in the brush, this this guy was a ghost hunter he said he's never coming back to this place again, this particular place we were. He said. He, See, you
3: now that's the smartest thing I've heard the whole night. He,
2: well, he said, I don't know. He's, <laughs> so I said, are you coming back to Gettysburg? Because he'd been there before. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to keep him back to Gettysburg. He's like, I don't know about this place, though. So.
3: Now, were these people that had their own audio equipment? Were they recording any of this these?
2: These in- were ghost hunters. They have all kinds of ghost boxes and ghost apps on their phone, all <laughs> kinds of equipment, all kinds of crazy laser grids that if anything breaks the laser grid, it sets off an alarm and all this stuff. They set up all kinds of, you should see the equipment these ghost hunters have. It's pretty great.
3: With 50,000 dead people in like a three day period of time, there should be a, a decent amount of people walking through that grid.
2: Well, the interesting thing about this project is it's given me the opportunity to question exactly what ghosts are in the same way with where the footprints end. I got the question exactly what Bigfoot is, because a lot of what people are experiencing in these locations Mm -hmm. really don't seem to act like the spirits of dead people, nor look like them. So uh, that's the... They
3: weren't Victorian. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to see a Victorian Bigfoot. Could you draw me like a dandy Victorian Bigfoot? I could. (laughs) But I won't. But I won't. (laughs) Come on. Can't we make dandy Bigfoot...
2: So in any thing. case, we're, we're <laughs> talking to these ghosts we're interviewing these ghost hunters. Mm-hmm. During the interview, after he sees this thing cross the path, he says, well, now I hear something growling.
3: But you're right there.
2: I'm right there. When I edited the audio, sure enough, underneath us talking, you can hear something growling while we're talking. This was not my stomach. I'll, <laughs> I'll not hear it. Don't tell me it was my stomach. This was something else. I'm going to go ahead and play this. This again, he, the witness said he heard it. While we were interviewing them. So we were talking. If my stomach's loud enough that you could hear it over Chad and this guy talking.
3: And it's mimicking <laughs> dogs. <laughs>
2: so here's this growl we recorded there. This is just one of tons of audio. That'll be part of episode 300. Control right. When they're really not. Yeah. Control right. When they're really not. Yeah. Control right. When they're really not. Yeah. Okay, and here is a Whispery EVP that we captured on-site as well. I'll just go ahead and play that. Like I said, there's tons more of this audio that's going to be part of The Witch Cloud. It takes the form of a book with accompanying audio, on-site audio, interviews, there's owls there's bangs there's knocks there's cries there's evps there's ghost box sessions it's all there i am excited about this project and i'm hoping everybody gets it because i really think it's something special all right that's it for our ghosts of audio past and got two ghosts of audio future there the 300 preview Ninety days to the perfect puppy <laughs> I should have done the math to figure out when episode three hundred is coming out and see to if, see if a little, like by that time you you could have, ha- you could have a perfect puppy i 'm not sure
3: at this point you could have a perfect puppy by just about Halloween
2: if you start now,
3: I mean if maybe if your puppy's a little bit more exceptional than the average puppy and you could do
2: it in eighty eight days yeah, maybe you could have a perfect <laughs> puppy by ha- Halloween, certainly by Thanksgiving <laughs>
3: Yeah, if your puppy's a little behind, Christmas maybe. <laughs>
2: 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy. You can find them at Mm sithappens.us. Look for the 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link. Mm -hmm. They have a relationship-based approach to training that helps you and your puppy become perfect for each other. They have online sources, Mm -hmm. such as video lesson, a secret Facebook group. I'm actually a member of this group, Sans Puppy. Mm -hmm. It's got secret access.
3: (laughs) You can watch other people's puppies.
2: Well, actually, someone recently requested help with an issue and then a bunch of people chimed in with like how Helpful they get help, su- including Tina. So you get help from other puppy owners and you get help from long term trainers. You know, I think Tina's been doing dog training forever, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> excellent group. It's an excellent program. Of course, you can get one on one options as well. But 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy help you understand how your dog thinks, which is not how you think. No. Puppy might use an abacus (laughs) where you use a calculator. And apply proactive training methods so you and your puppy can become perfect for each other. It's not about making the puppy perfect. It's about helping you understand each other. You become perfect for each other. Again, you can find them at sithappens.us. Look for the 90 days to the perfect puppy link at the top of the page.
3: This will be good for all those Halloween puppies people get. Can you imagine going to a house and they give you a puppy? Like you hold out your like a little one of those little pumpkin, the plastic pumpkin, and they put a puppy puppy in it.
2: I want to go to that house. (laughs) All right. So next, let's talk with Kelly and hear her story about this blue light in the Pine Barrens. Interesting thing about Kelly, she's a scientist, she's pretty skeptical about some of the stuff we talk about, but she absolutely could not explain this blue light, and she talked to her other friends, as you'll hear, who are in the science, and asked them, have any explanation for this. So it's, you know, I think we have plenty of truly unexplained stuff, but here's a scientist presenting something that she feels is truly unexplainable, whatever it is. So let's talk with Kelly and hear her story. Tonight we're talking with Kelly, who has a story from the Pine Barrens in New Jersey to share with us. How are you doing tonight, Kelly?
6: Good, Tim. Thanks for having me.
2: Thanks for coming on. As much as you're comfortable, can you tell us, we know the general location is the Pine Barrens, but if you can get a little more specific, uh, if you're comfortable doing so, that'd be great.
6: Yeah, yeah. So it's actually, it's in uh, the Manahawken Bottomland Hardwood Forest down in southern New Jersey which is, uh, it's like a 1,600-acre nature preserve. We call it the bridge to nowhere because it starts at the end of uh, Stafford Road and then just, it ends. So part of the bridge, when I was there, you could still walk out on it. Uh, now, now you can't even, It's it's just the end of the road. And then the middle part of the bridge, you can see coming up out of the water and the other end of it is all taken in by swamp.
2: So what year did um, this experience happen?
6: Wow, it was a long time ago. 2002, maybe? And Somewhere what?
2: There. why were you out there in the Pine Barrens? I know it can be a pretty uh, lonesome place.
6: Yeah, uh, a friend of mine was having some issues with a girlfriend, and he just wanted to chat, so we thought we would take a drive out there. And um, it's quiet. There's nothing going on. There are no lights it was pretty well lit by the moon i think that evening but it's just middle of nowhere
2: i've never been i've heard you know plenty of stories about the pine barrens but i think people have this idea of you know new jersey just being one big suburb of new york city you know
6: oh yeah oh that's such a common misconception i mean we're we're the garden state for a reason we produce a lot of vegetables and fruits for the country and and there are just miles and miles of forest um, Pine Barrens is all to the south, and uh, there are mountains to the north. I mean, they're small compared to other parts of the country, but it's, uh, it's really a very beautiful state. I think people think of, uh, like you said, city, the cities uh, near New York City like um, Elizabeth and Newark to be what New Jersey is, but it's, it's not. That's a very small part of the state.
2: So tell us what you saw and tell us what happened.
6: Yeah, so we're, we're standing there on the on this bridge and uh, my buddy's talking to me and I see uh, at the end of the bridge where it's now just swampland and tall grass and marsh this blue flashing light from about maybe six feet away from us. It's a bright blue. Probably the whole diameter of the light was maybe about a quarter or half dollar size. And it, it was flashing like a firefly, except um, in a straight, in a pattern. Uh, pattern. Fireflies don't make patterns like this. They would flash, say, to the left, and then for about a second and a half, and then above, and then down to the right, almost in a triangular pattern. And it was a very vivid blue pattern. Uh, insects don't make a blue like this certainly not in New Jersey. Generally insect light is yellow or white maybe a, a light blue tinge on the whiter colors. All this this light emanation comes from an enzyme called the luciferase and it all it creates a very consistent type of light. This was not that and I was really excited. I thought oh what is this thing you know and my, my friend was nervous. And uh, he's like I don't I don't like the way this looks. And I, I wanted to go investigate. But then it it started moving towards us. And that's not a natural way insects usually move. They're not mosquitoes, you know, fireflies aren't interested in people if that if that's what we thought they thought it could be. Uh, it was too big, much too large to be a light producing insect living in our, our part of the world and moved what it felt like with purpose you know, not to put too much of a point uh, on that. So it's moving towards us, and it keeps flashing in this sort of triangular pattern with this very vivid blue. And then I, I started to feel a little queasy. Like, okay, something is wrong. This is not right. My friend is almost panicking. <laughs> and at this point, he's grabbing my arm, and he said, we should leave. I think we should, we should really get out of here. And it's coming towards us kind of quickly, and still with this, triangular one and a half second flash. Eventually we get to the car and we, we got out of there. I think the whole thing took place maybe six or seven minutes from when I first noticed it in the in the tall reeds until it made it to the about center part of where we were standing on the bridge.
2: So when you say it was triangular did, did it light up like at the three points of the triangle yep. again and again? Yes, yes, yeah.
6: yeah. Um, I've never seen anything like it before. Usually, lightning bugs, if it's, and I'm sorry if I'm using the lightning bug analogy too frequently, but it's what most people assume that we saw. They tend to stay in one spot, and they flash a couple times, and then they move, and they flash a couple times. They don't really do, from what I've seen, at least this elaborate pattern.
2: I've never seen them make a discernible (laughs) pattern, for sure. Mm -mm. Like you said, it'll be a flash, a flash, and then They'll have moved however many feet, and then they'll flash again.
6: Yep. Yeah. It's usually females. Females stay low in the grass, and they make this distinct pattern to bring the males. But this was, it was moving, and it was too tall. It was up high at the top of the grass.
2: Right. And when you say pattern in fireflies, that's the on-off pattern, not a shape pattern. Correct. It's yeah, a, yeah it's, on and off. It's, it's a light on and off pattern, so, that, you know, two quicks and a, and a long or something like that. The different firefly breeds have different.
6: It depends on the species. Yeah. yeah.
2: Now, I think down in North Carolina, there's a area where you can go see blue fireflies.
6: Yes. Um, they're only found there, but they're a white blue.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've Not seen quite. pictures. They're, they're quite beautiful, yeah. but I'm just bringing they it are. up because, you know, someone will certainly say, well, there are blue fireflies. Yeah. <laughs>
6: Yeah, just in this one spot um, and, and the females there stay very low to the ground so they wouldn't be up high in that grass like that and again like you said that, that pattern, that triangular pattern is so strange
2: yeah it's interesting, now did you talk with your friend about it afterwards?
6: I did, I, did. Um, I talked to him the next day and I said "Did I, did we really see something last night and he said yes and he was very uncomfortable about it and we just kind of compared notes. This is what I saw, and he, we agreed. Um, neither of us got a look at what organism was making the light. It was we could really just see the light. And then maybe ten years later, we were at a barbecue together. I'd told my husband this story a million times, uh, and I went over to my friend and I said, "Can you tell him what we saw on the bridge?" And, my, and it was like we never left. You know what I mean? It was so vivid, and he told the same story, and even 10 years later just really left an impression.
2: So you agreed on size, shape, color?
6: Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: I had to check because of my experience at Site 7, the one time where I'm 90% sure John and I were looking at the same light he was describing as a ping pong ball, and that's not what I was seeing. <laughs> so,
6: um, it is amazing how that seems to happen in certain places.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very interesting. So as a scientist, mm-hmm. do you have any thoughts on, on what it could have been?
6: Uh, no. <laughs> I've spent many years thinking about this, thinking about the size and the color and, and that pattern. And I've asked colleagues. I've asked entomologists. I've asked um, jellyfish experts, you know, folks who really specialize in bioluminescence. And they all said No. That pattern doesn't make sense. I have never heard of anything that makes blue that bright, especially not here. Uh, there are glowworms, like cave glowworms, that are larvae, and they're blue, but they don't flash, and they're they're not here. Mm-hmm. You know, I asked. Uh, funny, I asked a friend of mine who's a jellyfish biologist, and he made a crack. Oh, I think you saw a will o' the wisp, which um, which seems to be the most. Uh, I, I suppose likely paranormal explanation yeah
2: whatever that means i think you know will is a sort of a catch-all for mystery lights for for sure but
6: uh definitely
2: that's so interesting though i would love to talk to these experts on bioluminescence about glowing eyes
6: oh oh glowing eyes are due to the uh tapetum lucidum in the back of the eyeball it's a reflect it's a reflective um sheet of cells in the back of the eye
2: I've written on the Tapidum lucidum. I'm talking about eye glow, not eye shine. That's reflective. Oh, I, when people report that there was no, the, the light source was coming from the eyes. And it, yeah. Which makes no sense to me, biologically we, speaking.
6: Biologically, that doesn't exist. As, yeah. Uh, yeah. As yeah. far as, yeah. yeah that's that's what, fascinating, though.
2: Yeah, I've, I've told people, like, as regards to, you know, Bigfoot, it comes up a lot. And I said, like, there's, there's no animal on Earth that has glowing eyes, but they're <laughs> all over folklore. You can read folklore going back you know hundreds and hundreds of years where people talk about different uh hairy you know goblins and elves oh, and...
6: thousands of years probably yeah, right for certain you, cultures
2: you name it with, with glowing problem. eyes but as far as natural creatures it just doesn't seem to happen
6: it, it would have to be some kind of bioluminescence you know created by uh and it well it's all luciferase i'm pretty sure so it's just this one enzyme yeah it, Why that would be in your eye doesn't make a lot of sense.
2: Yeah, I mean, just thinking about night vision, you'd think that would kill your night vision.
6: (laughs) Yeah, you want it to be red, if anything.
2: Yeah. Kelly, thank you so much for sharing your story.
6: Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to share. Thanks for having me.
2: All right, next, we're going to go to Jonathan with his story about these weird buzzing vocals when he was out looking for bigfoot it's pretty interesting
3: isn't there like sometimes a buzzing noise that just kind of is important of just supernatural or oh yeah the
2: the buzzing noises come with ufo experiences they come with ndes they come with uh, psychedelic experiences Uh, yeah that's why it's really important i think to note that these buzzing vocals are also heard around bigfoot experiences Tonight, we're talking with Jonathan, who has what sounds like a really, really interesting, uh, I don't know if we want to call it a Bigfoot encounter, but sounds you heard while out kind of looking for Sasquatch. Does, is that more accurate?
5: I would say so, um, yes. So I had, I'm had i a longtime listener to of Sasquatch Chronicles, and um, there was a guy on there named Robert. He was on episode 40. And he had described an incident or an encounter that he had down towards Colorado Springs. And he and his son were camping. He's this guy's basically like a, a survivor man type. And it was middle of winter. This is like 11,000 feet elevation. And all of a sudden, something just comes into their camp and starts screaming, you know, the typical. Woman being murdered, kind of thing, right. and um, and so he he ends up researching that area, thinking you know his son was the one who was like, "Maybe, Dad, maybe it's a bigfoot." Um, the guy who totally wasn't in the subject at the time, and so he ends up researching that area. He could have his own <laughs> show of his own on all of the encounters that he's had there. But I reached out to him because I got tired of just reading about the subject of Bigfoot and. And he was kind enough to take me to his spot. And the first time I was there, I heard a knock. You know, a lot of people would be very excited with that, but I was expecting much more. But <laughs> it was definitely a knock. Um, and like, it's one thing to sit there and wish for it. But when you're out there in the middle of the dark at 11,000 feet, you know, you kind of wish you don't get the uh, activity. Oh my but, goodness!
2: Don't I know that? When I talked about <laughs> that at Pandemonium, just hearing the being woken up by those knocks, and just sitting there going, "Just my heart sank to my stomach," and just like, "Oh, this is real."
5: <laughs> it, exactly. It it's one thing to you know be in your bed and listening to podcasts such as yours, and it's another thing to be in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the night and mm-hmm. and and have that. Oh no, this, this, this is real. This this is happening. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, But so we went, that was the first trip. On the next trip we went, um, there were several of us and there was a definite knock. Robert and this other guy went up behind me. We were sitting around a fire ring. They went up this, this side of the Canyon and, and they knocked. And immediately after that, there was another knock. I mean, it was unbelievable how fast it was. And so when they came down, you know, I guess for lack of a better term to kind of test them, I'm like, did you guys break up? And one knocked over here, and another one of you knocked over there. And they said, no. So
2: Oh, so, so they knocked and then there was an answer.
5: Absolutely. I mean, immediately, Timothy, I mean, very, very loud. Not, oh, well, maybe that was a knock. I mean, it was... Barry Bonds with a Louisville slugger against a tree. It was very loud and it sounded very close. So that was one of three interesting things that happened on this trip. The the second thing that happened that I reached out to you about was I was sitting around the campfire with Robert and off in the trees in you know, in the kind of in the distance, I hear what sounds kind of like voices and It wasn't, you know, the typical samurai chatter that you hear so many people talk about, but it sounded like almost like whispering or like bees humming like. And I looked at Robert and he looked at me and our eyes got big as saucers. And so the fact that he looked at me at the same time really confirmed for me that I did, in fact, hear what I just heard. Right. Um, And and i'm not someone who you know immediately jumps to bigfoot i'm like you know was that other campers was that someone else but if if in order for that to have been a human being in that area they would have had to have used headlamps or it would have been extremely dangerous and mm-hmm. i did not see any lights i didn't see any headlamps um and so that that was really really odd um it, it didn't sound like anything in nature that I had ever heard. I'm, I'm an avid hiker, backpacker. I had never heard anything like that. The, the third odd thing that happened was, as we were leaving, we're in our, you know, in our trucks, we're headed out, and all of a sudden Robert goes, those are tracks, and this is on a road that's um, very steep on either, well, on one side and there were footprints. I sent you the photo. I don't know if you've had a chance. To,
2: yeah.
4: To look I'm at looking at it yet. right now. Yeah. It's,
5: it's not a great photo. I'm, I'm not a great photographer, but there were definite tracks going up the side of that road. It's a, a fire road. And I don't know if you can really get a sense for how steep that is or, you know, kind of how you, there's kind of a shoe in, in the mm-hmm. image, mm-hmm. kind of give you some sense of scale, but, I honestly don't see how a human being could, could go up the side of that without like leaning forward, using their hands to get up. Right. And it was nothing, it was loose, loose soil. So it wasn't like toes and, you know, dermal ridges and all that, but they were pretty big, pretty big tracks. And that was very steep and it and it didn't look like whatever it went up the side of that road, didn't look like it lost stride. Mm-hmm. And so none of those things, you know, in and of themselves are is particularly remarkable, but all three of those things added up combined with the history that, that Robert had there. I mean, he had been up there 50 times, you know, researching, and he has all kinds of stories. So just given the context of Robert's, you know, experiences there, and then those three very odd things happening, it just... I can't really come to any other conclusion other than it, it was more than likely Bigfoot activity. Yeah. And recently I was at the Sasquatch Outpost. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's in Bailey, Colorado. I'm not. Jim Myers has a, a you know, a Bigfoot store there. He has a museum there. Um, and, and I was, he's really nice. And I was chatting with him and, and I told him, you know, what I had just told you and I told him about Robert and Robert's experiences. And he said, Yeah, I had a guy come in here the other day off the same road who viewed a family of them through a, a rifle scope. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, wow. So and it is in a county that according to the BFRO does have a lot of sightings and encounters.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: So you know, here I am years later speaking with Jim Myers and he he brought up the name of the road and uh, and mentioned his customers experience there so that just even you know gave more credibility to what i experienced
2: yeah now this i'm curious about this this buzzing sound you said it sounded like was it was like human speech but you couldn't make it out is that
5: it sounded like i guess it it sounded like whispering in the distance but to me it sounded like right I, I mean just i don't know if i want to use the word paranormal but it, it just didn't sound to me like human voices
4: mm-hmm.
5: and i i actually reached out to robert today and i was like you know i just wanted to get his impression of it i hadn't spoken with him in a long time but i texted him and he says and i'm, I'm just going to read his text he says it's he remembers that time he heard the jabber far off, which almost sounds like a radio in the distance. Hmm. He says, "I have heard the jabber close, and it sounds like grown men having a conversation, but you can't make out the words." I think a radio off in the distance. I, I could see where someone would think that, but to me, it just—I just keep coming back to this. It's just very odd yeah kind of like human voices but kind of not almost like the you know like you hear a beehive and it's that kind of humming sound and it kind of rose in intensity and then kind of fell it was like this this sense of uniformity about it just rise and fall if that makes sense at all
2: yeah yeah about how long did you hear
5: it I would say, I mean, it was very short, uh, you know, three seconds, four seconds. Mm-hmm. And then, and then we just looked at each other. We didn't do anything. And our eyes just got really big. Like, do you hear that?
4: <laughs> right.
5: Right. Um, but you hear so much about the, the samurai chatter and it wasn't anything like Ron Moorhead, Sierra sounds or anything like that, but that's what makes it so odd to me. So when I was reading in your book about, you know, the, buzzing or humming sounds, I was like, aha, that's more closely describes what I heard than, than anything else I'd come across.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's so, well, okay. You know, I think Josh would push back and say, you know, no Bigfoot was seen, so can't call it a Bigfoot encounter, but shorthand, we'll let's call this a Bigfoot encounter because, you know, (laughs) we'll just use that as shorthand and and keep in the back of our mind that, okay, it could have been something else, but. You, right, other for Bigfoot sure. encounters were had there, and you were out there looking for Bigfoot, and this happened. Sure, the types of vocalizations attributed to Bigfoot are really super interesting, but they're all over the map—from straight-up human, you know, voices, uh, whether they're imitative or, or whether they they understand what they're saying—is that's a whole other thing. To, like you said, the so-called samurai chatter to you know screams and howls and chirps and whistles and imitating animals and so forth you know i'm almost not surprised when someone hears any sound out there but these buzzing sounds are reported with some with some frequency again across the paranormal that's the other thing you know people will hear buzzing sounds with ufos they'll hear buzzing sounds with sometimes with ghost encounters and so forth but Mm -hmm. super interesting. Like how far between the hearing the wood knocks and hearing that sound do you think how much time?
5: Um, I would say that 45 minutes, maybe, Mm
4: -hmm.
5: maybe, maybe an hour. I mean, maybe, maybe less than that. It's been a while, Um, but not, not an extremely long amount of time at all. Mm hmm. And this is an area where there's, you know, supposedly, uh, you know, ghost encounters or or paranormal activity. But, you know, sometimes maybe those things can be people attribute that to paranormal activity when in fact, it it may be big.
2: Yeah, I mean, Um, I've had Dave, who's been on the show before, and I quote him in a little book I'm writing right now. You know, people talk about you know, Josh, for instance, will say, you know, or Saraya will say, perhaps uh, poltergeist activity accounts for Bigfoot, and Dave turns that on its head and says, well, maybe Bigfoot activity accounts for poltergeist. Which <laughs> it's is only our, fair. Yeah, it's a very <laughs> interesting way to think about it. So, it sure is. Have you visited this area more?
5: We may have gone back for a day hike after that, but um, I haven't been back. Um, I have a buddy who went there and went camping with some friends. He wasn't, you know, squatching per se, but um, he did tell me a story about how he was there with a friend of his who was a big guy, you know, manly man kind of guy. And they were speaking after they woke up the next morning and said, man, there was somebody going through our camp last night. I was scared to death. And my buddy, knowing the history of that area, Said, I don't think that was people, and I, I don't, I can't recall if he led on as to what he was thinking it was Sasquatch behavior or not. But um, he's had some interesting encounters up there, or experiences, rather, I should say. But I haven't been been back in a while. Roberts moved out of state, but I'm curious mm-hmm. to go back and and see if there's you know still you know any activity up there.
2: I hear a number of stories about people hearing people go through their camp at night, hearing something go through mm-hmm. their camp that's not a bear. You know, something that that they're they're certain is is walking on two legs. Right. These are some yeah. brave people if they're doing that. I would <laughs> I would not walk up on somebody's camp. You don't know if they're armed. You don't know how they're going to react. I think about again not to keep bringing up but our night in pandemonium. Whatever came into our camp, if that was a person they were pretty brave because we were not going to be kind if if we woke up and found a person in our camp.
5: Absolutely. And this is an area where people, you know, pull off the side of the road and, and just, you know, target practice and shoot.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: So if you're in that area, you, you know, people are more than likely armed, you know, in Colorado, people backpacking, camping, you see a tent, yeah, absolutely. If you're going through someone's camp, you're taking your life into your hands for sure.
2: Yeah. Just as just general state, I would not recommend people go into other people's campsite like at night.
5: <laughs> <laughs> right. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's uh, it for for that area. And uh, for that evening, it was just, you know, again, you know, I'm just not the kind of person who sits back and You know, interprets every little thing that happens as Bigfoot, Mm -hmm. but those three things all on on one trip just it adds up. Yeah, and 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 when I read, you know, in your book about uh, those sounds, it really struck a chord with me. So I just thought I'd reach out to you.
2: Oh, absolutely, Jonathan. Thank you for sharing your stories.
5: Well, thank you, Timothy. It's nice to meet you.
2: What a curiosity we have this week.
3: Are you selling your socks to old men?
2: (laughs) They're buying. (laughs) This is from 1932. Dr. Kilmer's Swamp Root Almanac. I prefer the Swamp Root Dream Book. What a great name.
3: Yeah, that is a good name.
2: I've collected these for some time. So what this is, it's, I mean, it's an almanac, but it also has dream interpretation in the back
3: it's going to sell you some valuable remedies for what ails you.
2: Yes. This is one for piles <laughs> and hemorrhoids. Dr. Kilmer's UNO ointment. It's got...
3: He actually has swamp root. Swamp
2: root. A diuretic to the kidneys. I believe... do we used to have a box of that? The actual swamp root box?
3: We have wizard oil. We have wizard oil. Okay. But it's currently for sale.
2: This is his... Look at that big building he had. He, this was not any fly-by-night operation. He had a huge He building. could
3: just... Say he had that building. No one's going to check up on it.
2: <laughs> this almanac was sold originally in McKinney's Pharmacy in Tawnytown. That's a place in Maryland. Looks like Taneytown, but it's pronounced Tawnytown. So uh, I heard somebody on Conspire Normal talking about these weird little magical almanacs and mm-hmm. things, and I thought, well, yeah, I have some of those. So it's got, you know, when to plant crops, it's got uh, history of modern important events. It's got, of course, tons of health information because he's trying to sell you different health ointments. Like I said, it's got dream interpretation, what the stars foretell from your birthday. Oh,
3: can you read mine?
2: Yes, let's see. So July 21st through August 22nd, you are popular and affectionate, (laughs) understand people very well, and are quite idealistic. You're rather unreasonable at times. This is true. However, and perhaps do not work as hard... And as consistently as you should, ding, ding, ding. you should be a little more practical and a little less idealistic and become somewhat more active in your endeavors.
3: Oh, let me read yours. Okay. Okay.
2: <laughs> read what it says. Don't be mean.
3: Oh, why do you get this? You are intelligent, steady, and have the quality of recovering mental stability after a misfortune. Your tendency, however, is to waste part of your abilities, to imagine unfavorable conditions which do not really exist, and to annoy your friends and acquaintances <laughs> occasionally with curiosity as to their personal affairs. Hmm. You should study your work and really think more and put your mind to bigger things than you've done in the past. I love how it just kind of berates you
2: at the same yeah, time. Yeah, like pat you on the back with one hand and smacks you across the face with the other.
3: You might get more use from the ad for piles. <laughs> I'm
2: trying to find... The dream interpretation. Oh, yeah. So here's the, here's the oh, dream okay. interpretation think. So, so what, what was your most recent dream about? I was attacked by men in the basement who weren't the guys from Home Alone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they have Home Alone attack. Okay, I'll, I'm mm-hmm. going to
3: tell you my, my most recent one that I remembered. Pablo Picasso was asking me to give him sexual
2: favors. <laughs>
4: wow.
3: <laughs> I don't even like Picasso.
2: <laughs> I'm going to see if, if there's... No no artist in here, so let's see if there's a painter. Yeah. Uh, no, there's a panther, if you dreamed of a panther. No. Yeah.
3: What do they say about teeth? Let's just go with like a classic dream okay, interpretation. So,
2: teeth. An unfortunate dream. If the teeth are loose, it foretells sickness. To lose a tooth signifies the loss of a friend. To lose all the teeth at once foretells disaster. It's got dream interpretation and cool little black and white illustrations, and...
3: It'll help get you through the Depression. It's 1931.
2: A Certificate of Purity in the front. It's Dr. Kilmer's Swamproot Almanac. I prefer to call it the Swamproot Dream Book, because it's a much cooler name for it.
3: Yeah, It has the Zodiac signs on the front cover, but they're sort of adapted for a quasi-Native American sort of motif. Yeah.
2: One page has part of it clipped out. For what reason, I don't know. Just so you know. I'll put a picture of that in the Etsy listing.
3: Oh, here's an article on the danger period of life, middle age. <laughs> mm.
2: You're telling me there's nothing safe about it.
3: Very few people drink enough water and we eat too much meat and other foods that overwork the kidneys in the process of elimination.
2: No, but I bet he's got something to help us with that.
3: For some reason, I bet something with about a 99% alcohol content going to be <laughs> great for your kidneys. <laughs>
2: So this is our curiosity of the week. We'll put an image of this in the show notes. If you click on that, it'll take you to our Etsy shop where you can buy this in the curiosity of the week section. There are no other curiosities of the week because they have all sold so far. You can check out this super cool swamp root dream book. I collected those. I don't know how many more of those I have. I know I have more somewhere. Yeah, I've so been is,
3: trying to go through things. So wait. This is from
2: 1932. I definitely have more. We have some older ones. Yeah, I definitely have more stuff like this, too, that I'll dig out and present. I love old ephemera like this, though. I just, uh-huh. I love looking through it. While you're on Etsy, as I mentioned before, I've got those new prints. You can check them out. And on my books and everything else we have at Etsy, a lot of new, <laughs> new old photographs Allison's mm. added. New listings of old photographs. Our shop name is Lost Grave, one word. If you type in Strange Familiars, our stuff will come up. Also on Etsy. Chad's Shop, Ruck Rabbit Outdoors, and our friends at Karmic Garden with their awesome soaps and other fine smelly things. Are you quite done reading the dream book? I lost my co-host. No, sorry. I'm He's fascinated <laughs> by the, the Swamp Root dream book.
3: Okay. Oh, wait, where am I? Do I have to pay any attention anymore?
2: I think we're done okay. for the week. Obviously, you've listened to this. We released this episode early so to give me time to prepare for Cryptid Bash. Hope to see you in Morgantown, West Virginia. Chad and I will be there Saturday, signing books, signing artwork, selling artwork, selling books. Come say hi. We'll be back next week with another episode of Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more. Intro and background music is by Stonebreath. If you want to hear more or purchase music by Stonebreath, you can go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com. Strange Familiars is on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. If you're on Facebook, you can join the Strange Familiars Gathering group. We talk about all things paranormal and spooky and fun and you name it. If you're on Instagram, you can find us. We're at Familiars. Follow us, like our posts. And if you're on the web... Looking for us? We are at (laughs) www.strangefamiliars.com.